Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. I've had uh, several folks ask me over the last couple of days, actually even had a conversation this afternoon uh, as I was wrapping up my, kind of going over my sermon one more time, and they were asking me, does this, a version of this, does the coronavirus mean that the Lord is coming back? Should I be worried that this is the end? And um, had had a couple of conversations to that effect, and that might be on y'all's mind. I don't know. Some people have it on their mind, and I've even seen uh, there's a there's a whole sort of stream of thought out there that keeps pointing to passages like Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, which is where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and you hear those familiar refrains that there will be wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and all earthquakes and all those sorts of things. Uh, I will say, this is not my message, but I will say I would encourage you, if you're hearing that, to go back and reread Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, and listen to the words of Jesus. Don't listen to what this preacher says, any other preacher says. Listen to what Jesus says. He says very specifically in that passage. Again, you check me. I'm not, don't take my word for it. You go look at it. He says specifically in those passages, all of those things are not signs of his coming. Those are not the things that we need to be worried about. He says, in essence, you read his own words, but he says, in essence, it's not going to be over till I say it's over. When, it's, when I say it's done, it's over. Now, coming back to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to begin with verse 7. We're just going to read that first phrase in chapter 7 right to begin with. We'll continue on through verse 11 over the course of the afternoon or this evening for just a moment but for i'm going to start there where it says but the end of all things is at hand pretty ominous statement if you're listening to what he said he said the end is all things is at hand he's saying in essence everything's winding down and just before that he has said i want you to actually jump back up to, with me in uh, verse uh, six where he says Therefore, this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh and according to the God in the spirit. I missed verse 5, which is what I wanted to read, who says, Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? He's saying God is rightly going to judge the quick and the dead, verse 5. He is going to judge them ultimately, in verse 6, according to his standard of right and wrong, not man's standard of right and wrong. Because by the way, if it was up to me and God judging me according to my standards, I'm a pretty good fella. I'm doing okay. But God said, no, it ain't your standard I'm going to judge you by. I'm going to judge you by mine. And now he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. The end is here. The end is now. I think it's pretty unequivocal. Peter's saying that. Now let's, let's be, let's be uh, aware of what Peter's saying and to whom he's saying it when he's saying it. This was written uh, probably anywhere from about, well, what, a, closing in on 2,000 years ago. It's been a while since this was written. So some time has gone past. So there's some water under the bridge, as it were. But what is he talking about? He is essentially saying that the Lord can come back at any moment. The end is now. It is here. It is now. 
So my question, and I think that question that if you are thinking rightly about these, these concerns about is this coronavirus the end, is this the end, what should you be doing about it? Okay, let's say the answer is yes. Peter says it is. What are you going to do about it? Well, a lot of us are worrying about it. If you're not worrying about it, you're fatalistic about it. What will be, will be. And if you're not worried or fatalistic, you're, you're trying to fight with somebody about it. Or, or you're trying to, this is what, a, what the world's trying to do. That's why you can't find toilet paper even to this day. What is wrong with people? You can't find it. They're hoarding the stuff. They're hoarding the stuff. They are doing it because they're, well, they're, they're worried about the end of time. Now, by the way, if that's what you're worried about, and that's why you're, there's got to be better stuff to hoard. I don't know, maybe, a, maybe some meat or something. I don't know, something that you can eat. But anyway, the, the point of it is that, that we do all of these things, and some people even will go, even Christians will have this attitude of, well, I, don't, I think that, I mean, the, the end is here, so I'm just going to enjoy what I can while I can. I, I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word that none of those reactions are right or proper. In fact, what Peter does here, he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, and then he goes in and says, be ye therefore. He goes and says, this is what you do. So my message for you tonight is what Christians ought to be doing at the end of the world. This is what we ought to be doing at the end of the world. If the end is here, Peter says it is. The Lord could come back at any moment. We do not know the, the time, the moment it's going to happen, but it could be at any moment. He says, here's what we need to do. Look with me in verse 7, the last part. He says, because the end is near, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. The temptation in this kind of a time, especially at this moment that feels very apocalyptic at this moment, it does in a lot of ways, especially if you get the chance to ride up and down the highways. There's just nobody on the road. I've never seen I-40 as open up as it is. I mean, there's nobody out there, and that's pretty apocalyptic feeling to me. It, 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 an apocalyptic feeling time like this and maybe this isn't the maybe this moment in the in the next few months maybe not the time that the lord's coming back he may choose to do it at a later date but whatever that end moment is i can tell you it's going to be a strange moment and maybe even before then you're going to have this feeling that it's just you just need to disconnect you need to give up in fact peter's talking to people that would feel like they needed to give up because they would be soon this is right on the front end of being persecuted for their faith and he's saying, listen, boys, you don't need to give up because of the persecution of your faith. Some of you might want to give up because this virus just feels like if you listen to what the, the president says and the, and the news media says and the governor says, you listen to that stuff, especially if you're listening to it every day and they're coming on just about every day saying something new. And you listen to that, it's going to make your mind just say, I just can't, I give up, what am I going to do? It makes you worry, what's the future going to look like? I, I can tell you, and I'll just confess to you, I, I'm not so much worried about the medical impact of this, but I am worried about the economic impact. And it worries me. It does. It shouldn't. I know that. I know. I'm, I can preach it to you just like some of y'all are preaching it to me. I know I'm not supposed to worry. I know. But it makes you feel that way. And what Paul, or Peter rather, is saying to us in verse 7, verse seven he says, don't let your circumstances control you don't panic don't worry don't be hopeless don't be so brave that nothing affects you some people are stoic and they're callous and they're fatalistic about it. he's saying no, no 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 instead look at what he says in verse seven be sober and watch be sober 
We, we know that word sober as not being drunk. That's not what he means here, but that's how we often use that word in our vernacular. And the idea is very similar to that, is that you're in control. You're in control. That's the idea of sober. That's what he means there. He says, I want you to be in control. Don't, don't be fretting and don't be worried about everything. That's what happens when we worry, by the way. We're not in control. The circumstance is in control of us. And we're being torn all over. He says, don't do that. Be controlled. Be sober. Be in control. And he says, be watchful. Be realistically aware. When you're watchful, you're not watchful just, for, just because. When we, have, when we have our gathering together, we have someone who's constantly watching our door, making sure that this congregation can stay safe. We, they have protocols and things that they're doing to do that. What are they doing? They're watching out. They realize that there's some bad people in this world that want to do bad things, and they're trying to be prepared for that. So on the one hand, we need to be in control. Don't let everything worry us. But on the other hand, be realistically aware of our surroundings and realize <laughs> it's in our control to do a thing or two about it. This is what he's saying, be sober, be watchful. But don't, don't miss where he's going with this. Verse 7, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be sober, be realistic, be faithful, be, make sure you're in control, but do so unto prayer. You see, a faith-filled, realistic awareness of what's going on around us in the world. Remember what I said here, a faith-filled, realistic awareness it's not realistic to say, oh, this ain't no thing. No, it's a thing. People are dying. We've got, ten, it's going to be soon, tens of thousands of people are dying. That's a thing. Nor is it faithful to say, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to be so terrible? No, no, your God is still in control. So we need to be faith-filled. We need to be realistic and if we are faith-filled and realistic, what that should do is should drive us to our knees. It should drive us to the point where we're seeking the face of God. I would argue that if you're just sitting around worried or you're sitting around telling yourself tales out of school that nothing's going on, you're doing one of those two things. You're not doing the one thing you need to be doing. You're not praying. You're not talking to the Lord about this matter because you've got, if nothing else, You've got people in your life that you know do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this is the end, this is the end, yes, for your job, and this is the end for your family uh, gatherings, for your Christmases and your church gatherings, it's the end. But it means that's eternity in hell for that person. You need to be on your knees saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know where this is going. There's fretting in my heart, but I trust you. And Lord, I've got a say, unsaved friend. I've got an unsaved family member who needs salvation. And if this is the end, would you give me an opportunity to show the, the love of Christ to them? We need to seek God's face for eyes to see God's hand in all this. I don't know what God's doing. I will never pretend that I know he's doing it. But I can tell you this, I know our God is working. And sometimes we don't see it, but what we need to do is we need to be on our knees saying, God, help me to see it so I can get in behind you and I know where you're going. We need to get on our knees and ask God for the faith to, that he is going to supply us. We need some more faith than that. I know that God will supply it. I can preach it till the cows come home. Some of y'all can preach it back to me. But do you believe it? When nobody's asking you, when you're just talking to yourself, where's that faith? I can tell you most of us is pretty weak. What we need to do is that realistic awareness of our weak faith should drive us to our knees. God, please give me faith in your supply. Give me faith in your strength, your faith, and your hope. 
as Paul says in Timothy, I exhort thee, exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. The end is here. And Christians ought to be on their knees in prayer. If the end is here, we ought to be serious and realistic in prayer. It goes on in verse 8 to say, and above all things, have fervent charity. Christians ought, what, what Christians ought to be doing at the end of time is certainly praying, but we ought to be people who are loving. Christians are marked by love. Jesus even said to his disciples in John 13, he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. One to another. So we need to love one another. We know that. That's what Christians are supposed to do. But what does it look like? Well, Peter tells us here in verse 8, he says it needs to be fervent charity. That's that word charity means love. Fervent charity, fervent love. It needs to be an eager, an intense love, actually looking for somebody to love. I think so many Christians are happy to love the people they like, to love the people that are near them, love the people they know. You've got people that you bump into every day, even now, socially distanced as we are. You've got people that you come in contact with that you ought to, if you're a Christian who has fervent love, intense love, eager love, you ought to be finding ways to show them love. He goes on to say there, he says, not only should you have fervent love, but you should have it among yourselves. We should love all men and all women. We certainly should love all people. That should absolutely be the case. But we should especially love our brothers and sisters. The way Paul says it in Galatians is, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That's, that's right. That's the right attitude. Anybody that needs help, we ought to be the people that help them. But he goes on to say, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We ought to be intense and eager and fervent in our love for all people, but especially for the household of faith. So you need to find ways. If this is the end of all time, you better be loving your brothers and sisters. Now, he describes it a little bit further here so we don't get mistaken by this, because sometimes we, we assume that means it's sort of warm feelings in our heart. It's not what he means. Go to verse 8. He says, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, what he means by covering sins is this idea of I'm not going to respond in the same way when somebody is mean or ugly or hateful or spiteful towards me. That doesn't mean I'm going to ignore sin or ignore the damage. We're still going to protect the innocent. We're still going to make sure that if some brother sins, he, call, he talks about this in another place in Scripture, where if someone sins, we need to go to that brother, we need to confront the sin, we need to deal with that. It's not to say we're going to ignore sin. That's not what he's talking about. But it does mean what's going to happen is we're not going to allow wrongs that are done to us flourish into their full expression. We're not going to attempt, insist on getting in the last word. That uh, theologian, Barney Fife, said it best. We're going to nip it in the bud. That's what we're going to do. We're going to nip it in the bud. There's going to be a point where we say, I recognize you hurt me. I recognize I'm offended by what you did. I'm upset about that. But instead of going all out and getting what's mine, I'm going to have love towards you, and it's going to cover that sin. It is going to not, uh, not going to reciprocate. It's going to say, listen, I, I, I'm going to do what Paul, Peter, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to suffer long, and I'm going to be kind. 
envying not and vaunting not itself. It's not puffed up. Love beareth, or charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. By the way, that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, yes, I know it's read at weddings and that sort of thing, and it's a beautiful piece of poetry in its own way, but it's also primarily actually intended as a, a letter to the church. He's describing to you, brothers and sisters, how you ought to be living with one another. You ought to be loving them in that way. If we are thinking about this being the end of time, what are we doing? Are we preparing for eternity, or are we simply trying to win in the present? <laughs> Think about it this way. I, I don't know what y'all's experience is, but I would be willing to, to wager that it's been similar to mine. And when we think about knock-down, drag-out fights and people that are hateful to one another, some of the first people that pop into our mind are not people in the world, people inside the church. Brothers and sisters, supposedly, people that we've actually had terrible arguments with. I personally have had conversations with people that I cannot believe that that person is supposed to be my brother. I've even said things to people, and I'm thinking, what in the world? That's supposed to be my brother. Why am I talking like that? I, can you imagine that? Did you know we're going to live forever together? Yes, we get to live with Jesus, thank the Lord, but I have to live with y'all forever. You've got to live with me forever. What in the world, if that's going to be the end of time, doesn't, do you not understand that this is the way it's going to be for eternity with all of us? We're going to, whatever we got now, if it's real, if the Holy Spirit's in me and in you, we're going to be together forever. You might be my next door neighbor on the street of gold. If that's the case, what are we trying to do? Win? Build a little kingdom here on this earth? How in the world are we going to reconcile the world to Christ if we hate our brothers and sisters? The end is here. Christians ought to be putting on an exhibition of what Christ-like love looks like verse 9 he's a little short verse there just simply says use hospitality one to another without grudging the ancient christians were known for their hospitality one of the things they would do is when you're traveling you don't really have the idea of a hotel you didn't have as many hotel kind of concepts back then that wasn't really a thing in the ancient world so if you were traveling you would have to stay with somebody and if you didn't know anybody in town you were sleeping in the street but what Christians would do, they had a network of people, and, you know, if you were traveling one city to another, I might stay in your home if you, if you happen to have a house there because we're Christians and we love one another. We, of course, in addition to that, even if we live near each other, we might enjoy meals together. I might invite you to my house, or you might invite me to yours. And one of the things they didn't have, we have a nice, beautiful building here, uh, here in, at our church, and I really enjoy being able to meet here, but they didn't really have that idea then. So they were meeting in one another's homes. So part of that hospitality was simply, hey, why don't y'all come to my house tonight for the, to, for the Lord's meeting? We'll do, that. we'll do that this week at my house and might rotate through the members in that way. Now, times do change. I understand that. When I travel somewhere else, I can stay at a hotel. Uh, I can come here to meet. And, you know, we can go to a restaurant. I don't have to go to your house. You know, or you don't have to come to mine. Well, there's different things we can do. But times change, but God's word doesn't change. We still ought to be, as this idea of hospitality, there ought to be a sense in which we help one another out. We're, we're, we're with one another. And like we ought to do, likely we ought to do it a lot more than we do. One, one, though, I had a personal example of somebody really showing hospitality in a way that in the modern era really surprised me. And I just want to bring it up to you just to show you what I'm talking about. 
the church was gracious enough to allow me to go to a conference just uh, right at the, I guess this was at the end of uh, February now, so it's not been that long ago. Went up to Cleveland, Ohio at the end of February, and there's a church up there that put on a conference about disciple-making that I was able to go to. Good conference and all that, but in the process of it, uh, the church up there had offered. They said, now, if you would like it, we can arrange for you some housing. And I didn't know what that would mean. I thought, well, sure, I'll take it, because it, was, uh, it was a, took some of the cost burden off of our church. And I said, well, if you're going to give it to me for free, I'll take that. I just assumed they'd probably, you know, put me up, because there's mostly men going, put us up in a bunk in the bottom of the church or something like that. I figured I could do that. But no, what happened was they called me and let me know, hey, you're going to be staying with, uh, with Josh and Becca Baucus. You're going to stay with them. Oh, that's interesting. I'd kind of, be kind of interested to meet these people. I'm kind of curious. And, and when I met them, when I, when I get to their house, they put me and, and another preacher, we were staying with them, had different rooms. We had, they, they had a couple extra rooms in their house, and they put us up in their house, and we stayed there two nights in their home, and one, one night they fed us a meal together. We all sat around the table and ate together, and every morning for breakfast they'd have coffee for us. It was just, you know, it was kind of nice. It was nice people, and they enjoyable conversation, nice folks. But I remember thinking it was so strange to me experiencing that. I don't know if y'all have experienced anything like that, but if you've not experienced it lately, let me just tell you, it feels strange. You know why it feels strange? Because I think, uh, I don't think we do enough of that because I think our pride's too big. I, I feel more comfortable in my own little space, you know? I mean, I'm just telling you the honest, honest feeling. I feel more comfortable going to a hotel, so I, you know, and we would dress it up as we don't want to impose on them. But let me tell you, these people were as blessed by me being there, not because I'm so great, but they were as blessed by helping us as I was blessed by being with them. But I think our pride gets in their way. I think sometimes we, get a, we have a little bit too much stuff. We have too much money to throw around that we can just go out and stay at a hotel or we can go out and eat at restaurants all the time. And we, we, we have too much. There's a little bit of selfishness in there too. I want what I want. Well, they're not fixing Mexican tonight. I, I wanted Mexican, so I'm going to go out and eat Mexican, or whatever it is that we want. I think that's a little bit of it because, see what I'm saying, that time doesn't change, but God's word does. You say, well, Matthew, what in the world has this got to do with the end of time? I want you to see what he is saying is that we need to be a selfless giver, not a selfish hoarder of our things. A mark of your love is going to be how much you're willing to give and to share. It is a necessary step in times of need. I know this from my own personal experience. When I was much younger, me and my wife were not married very long. We had some, some, uh, some things go wrong in our house. I think it was an air conditioning unit. I didn't have the money to fix that. I had a father-in-law who was able to give me a little bit of money. Let me borrow that money from him, and he didn't let me pay it all back. That's how that works because I had somebody in my family that was in need. I remember when we were not, not uh, right before we bought that house, we were renting from a person in our church, and he gave us a really, really good price on the rent. It was a decent place. It wasn't anything fancy, but it was a nice place, and he gave us a good price. And we, of course, we tried to honor that by paying our rent on time and, and, and taking care of the place and all that, but it was somebody in our church that did that for us. I'll never forget Mike Prim allowing us to do that. Even this, you think about our church building here, this is not possible because one or two wealthy people put this together. No, you know because of most of you, are, I talked about the givers, you guys have given through the years and through the decades even to give to this church and we're pooling our resources. We're able to buy the property next door. That's all come because we are not grudgingly, this is important, we're not grudgingly, but we are cheerfully giving into those things. 
And there may come a time in the not-so-distant future, if the end is truly near, there may come a time where we're going to really need each other. See, right now, some of us are too fat and happy that we've got everything, so we don't need nobody. Oh, I'm good. No, we need each other. And we've got to get to the place where we're willing to share what little bit we got, and when people give something to share, we are willing to accept it if we need it. We've got to get to that point, and we have to do so without begrudging. We relinquish our ownership. We relinquish our rights, and doggone it, we stop complaining about it. We do what the Lord has given. You share what the Lord has given to us, and we do what is right because those brothers and sisters depend on us. Again, can you imagine a not-so-distant future in which it is actually illegal to call yourself a Christian? It is illegal to share the gospel. And in fact, you have lost your job because they found out that you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that future? Wouldn't it be nice to have some brothers and sisters who would not grudgingly share what they've got? And there might be a brother or sister who they got in trouble before you did, but you still got a little bit of work on the side, and they need something. Wouldn't it be nice if you could be able to hand them a little bit of help without regretting, well, I don't think you need it. I don't think you'll do the right thing with it. No, no, love one another. Begrudge, do not begrudge one another. If the end is here, and I believe it is, according to what Peter's saying in verse 7, if the end is here, Christians ought to selflessly, selflessly, excuse me, selflessly, share their time and their resources with one another the last verses in verses 10 and 11 i want you to see this in verse 10 as every man hath received the gift even so minister the same one to another we have been recipients of the biggest gift that has ever been given to anybody you know that god's grace was a gift to you That gift that was given to you of the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for your sin, a relationship with him, the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, that gift is a gift you could never repay. Don't even try. That gift that was given to you was never intended for you to consume it so you would have it. It was intended for you to minister with it. That's what he says there in verse 10. He says, even so minister the same one to another. That grace that's been given to you has never been given to you to consume but to share, to give it to other people. In fact, he even calls us there, in verse 10, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what a steward is? Steward is like a manager or a treasurer. Think about here in our church. We have Judy Bird as our treasurer. Now, she's the steward, and I believe she has been a good steward of the church's money. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean she does whatever she wants to with it? Of course not course not in fact if she even heard me saying that she'd probably fuss at me for even suggesting that was possible because that's not how she operates it's not what a treasurer or a steward does what do they do they take what the master or the one that is responsible for it they take what they've given them in this case money and they do what that in this case the church has asked them to do with that whether it's dispense it for a bill or, or to cut a check for this expense or whatever that is, that's what a good treasurer does. That's what a good steward does. It's not yours to do with as you please. It is yours to do with as the master has told you to do with it. You don't own the gift. You don't even own the mandate of the gift. But you have been given the gift to do what God has told you to do with it. Are you with me? Are you with me? What has God told you to do with that? He's told you to represent him in his service. Look at what he says in verse 11. 
If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Whatever you say, the things you speak, the words you use, the, the teaching that you participate in, the songs that you sing, even the tone of the voice that you use, Whatever we do, if any man minister, he says there, any help that we give for people, any visits, you sit and visit with somebody, maybe you give them a call or you, you build something for them or you, you give them something. Whatever we do, he says we're to do it for God as the oracles of God. We do it with his power, with the ability that he's given us. If the end is here, Christians ought to be working hard in the power of the spirit that God has given us. I'm closing. Peter says that the end is at hand. Your redemption draweth nigh, Luke 21 says. Glory is just on the other side. You're about to get, as Peter talks about in chapter 1, that incorruptible, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Jesus is coming soon. So what you going to do? Are you going to look for signs? You're going to watch the news. You're going to worry till it comes about. Are you going to quit caring that what will be, will be? Are you going to make sure you win every argument? Are you going to hoard everything you got because you're worried about having to take a mark of the beast? Believe me, I don't, know if, I don't put something in somebody's head, but I know that's something some people worry about. Oh, I'm going to keep it all so I don't have to, to, to worship the mark of the beast. Just don't worship something other than Jesus and you'll be all right. Are you just going to enjoy what you got till it goes away? What are you going to do? If you're not saved, if Jesus is not your Savior, the first thing you need to do is you need to call on Jesus' name. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You will have a home in heaven. You will have a future to look forward to. But if you are already saved, then I want you to hear what the Spirit saith to the churches in this passage. Pray like you need God. Love like Jesus loved you. Share like you've been blessed. And serve like the master told you to serve. As one person put it, I was talking to this afternoon, and I was kind of giving them that rundown because they were asking me about, is this the end of time? And I said, well, this is what the Bible tells me we ought to do. And they said back to me, well, that sounds like what Christians ought to be doing anyway. And I said, yeah, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. Reminds me, and I, and I am closing, but it just thought popped in my mind, and I'll share this with you. Reminds me of when I was a kid, Mom and Daddy would leave for a little bit, and they would tell me and my sister, and said, I want you all to clean the house, vacuum, whatever it was, some, some household chore that we needed to do. I want it done. When I get back, we'll be gone. However long, we'll be back. You want it to be done. And then if they leave, we'd goof off. We'd do what we want to do. And then we got to thinking, Mom and Daddy's about to come back. And then we get busy. And of course, inevitably, rushing to the very end, they walk in the door and we're still working at it and getting, getting in trouble for not getting it done. If we had just been doing all along what we should have been doing anyway, we'd have got it done, it wouldn't have been a problem. So let's just pray, let's love, let's share, and let's serve. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.